What's going on, everybody? Nothing surprising about that game. Alabama winning 48-0. Really just rolling in every single aspect of the game. Only scoring seven second-half points, though, and some injuries. Patrick and I will sort of delve into those, plus give you a preview for Kentucky next week. This is Year 2, Episode 11, Pat's Interference. Well, hey there, everybody. You're listening to Pat's Interference. Alabama coming off a win against Kent State, a dominating win of that, 48 to nothing. I'm Patrick Brickman. He's Patrick Norwood. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing good, man. It feels good to be back, like like podcasting with you. It's weird when I'm spitballing and you're not there because usually you can like stop. Like if I start going off the rails on a crazy train, you, you're you're pretty good about playing conductor and getting me back on. Well, I'm glad to have you back, and you may you may find this to be shocking, but I promise I don't enjoy talking to myself. At least uh, you know, I, in I a know you don't. Way. In a recorded way, I talk to myself all the time. That's just because I'm weird. But no, if I'm, I don't like all, podcasting dude, all geniuses by myself. Talk it's lonely. Albert Einstein had like a real problem with it. Did you know that? Name one genius that ain't crazy. <laughs> Life of Pablo. Um, <laughs> Oh, no, God. but it's good to have you back. I'm glad you're back you. safe from your New York trip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was great. It was great. I want to give a big shout-out to uh, the uh, High Point University men's lacrosse team. Uh, a bunch of great dudes. You'll you'll see the uh, the feature that I was working on uh, come in. Uh, well, one of them coming later in the week. I did two up there. One of them will come later in the week, and then the other one will come sometime in the spring. And, and honestly, it, it may be um, maybe not the story of my career, but it'll be a story that I never forget. I can't wait to see that ish. That's great. I've never been to New York. You've never been? Still, I've never been. Oh, we're changing that. The highest north I've been was Pittsburgh. Um, oh, we're changing that. We, never, we'll go visit. We'll go visit Rob Norwood. Uh, Maryland's farther south than Pittsburgh, right? Baltimore. Correct. So yeah, the farthest north I've been is Pittsburgh. Correct. Yeah, we we had a nice little stay in Baltimore Friday night. Um, I love Baltimore. I'd love to live there. Brick Alabama wins forty-eight nothing over Kent State. Uh, I don't think there's anything really surprising from this game. I think this episode is going to be pretty short. Uh, let's just go ahead and start off right on a high note. Your play of the game from Saturday. Um, yeah, the play of the game. And real quick, one of the things that we both wanted to see, and Coach Saban said he wanted to see was a complete game. And I think, and he's attested to that in the in the interviews, uh, post game stuff. Complete game, good to see. My play of the game. Um, actually came when the number twos were in. And it was the, uh, you know, I love Jalen Hurts. And I'm all for Jalen Hurts. But I thought the best play of the game came from Blake Barnett, his throw to O.J. Howard, where he, um, again, looked off the safety, threw Howard open. Uh, Howard caught the ball and made a couple, you know, long gliding steps the way he does into the end zone. He probably got, went the last 25 yards of that catch in about <laughs> – I don't know, five steps into the end zone. It, it did. It, um, it was very reminiscent to his first touchdown ever at Alabama against LSU. You remember that? I do remember that one. That's when we were all aboard that uh, OJ train. No, but no, and that's something that Barnett's done. He's flashed that. He's shown us that in his sure. mop-up duty. That's what he's kind of been relegated to recently, his mop-up duty. But um, that is something that we haven't seen a lot of from Hertz is throwing guys open. And I, I texted you when it happened. I mean, I did say that Barnett throws – a better ball than Hertz, and I'm not. I'm not just. I, I believe that. I do also think that Hertz is the right guy to be under the center for what he does to the offense and right. really keeps us calm. Sure. 
Sure. I yeah. No, I thought I thought that was a great play. I think uh, I think OJ Howard had a whale of a game. We're gonna get into get into the part of his game that I really appreciated the most a little bit later on. But for me, the play of the game was Cam Sims' back shoulder catch at the one from Jalen Hurts. Just everything about that play was just beautiful. beautiful. Throw. Another good throw in that game. It was game. just beautiful. beautiful. But it, it wasn't even the fact. It was the play calling before it too. It was a great one-two punch. Uh, a nice couple, you know. And not necessarily a jet sweep, a fake jet sweep, sort of triple option. Hurts scrambles, gets five yards, gets tackled. Uh, then you get uh, Joshua Jacobs going up the middle for about three or four yards for another first down. And then Kiffin just said, all right, let's just go for it here. And it was a nice little play action play. Uh, you know, the Cam Sims made a good move. Nice little pump fake from Jalen Hurts. And then Hurts just threw a dart. I mean, just an absolute laser uh, right, I mean, just pinpoint accuracy uh, to the back shoulder of Cam Sims, who turned around, made a great play, made sure he had the ball secured in his hands before looking down at his feet to make sure they were in bounds. I just thought it was a beautiful-looking play. Um, I'm fine with throwing the ball for the rest of time if it looks like that every single time. <laughs> well, the, 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 the passing game, I mean, things have been slowly coming together it's, it's Alabama kind of looks like that that um train that we saw the last two years actually probably more last year um we came out of the gates pretty quick offensively in 2014 but like especially last year we just kind of came out stumbled through the first couple of games right. even lost one of those games last year and things just kind of came together as a team and we're we've been doing that offensively defense right from the gun was great this year right 16 Offense for 24 is two TDs for Jalen Hurts two total TDs he had one rushing one passing touchdown um, in my opinion, sixty-six Brick, completion percent. I, I don't, you know, I and you know me. I'm kind of I, someone who listens to our podcast has told me lately that I'm a very negative Nancy Alabama fan. I don't necessarily know if I agree with that. I, yeah, there are, there are worse people than you. I, I, I think well, I'm not a Bama doomsdayer. I think I'm just I'm I'm a realist. That's how that's how I view myself. Is I I live in a sense of realism. I want things to go correctly. I want them to go right. Uh, and when they, they aren't going perfectly, I, I can be hypercritical, and I'll admit that. However, I, I still think, even with the game that he played, he played a great game, and only eight incompletions, and three of those were drops. And bad drops, too. Uh, yeah. Joshua Jacobs had one that was easily could have been, you know, at least... Dieter, Mr. Yards. Stonehands himself has dropped another one. <sighs> yeah. We need to talk about it. Anyway, we'll talk about him later on. But I, I think... Uh, I think for me, Brick, um, you know, he's, he's taking a little too long to throw still. Uh, and that's a little concerning to me, especially when we're looking at teams with uh, with guys like Miles Garrett. Yeah, no, you're right. We're going to face a lot of pass rushes and some very good run defenses. We're going to force them to make the quick decisions. There are some very good defenses. I uh, don't forget Tennessee with Derek Barnett. You know, we got Auburn even, tough defense. He's going to... We're about to hit a point in our schedule. We'll we'll talk about that in a minute as well. But we're hitting a part of our schedule soon that are really, really going to separate the men from the boys and really show force us to see what Jalen Hurts is made of. Right. Uh, get into Joshua Jacobs a little bit. Eleven carries, ninety-seven yards, and two TDs. Uh, what do you think about his game? He was great. He came in. He ran uh, very decisively, very strong. He hit his holes hard. He had a. He had some power to his game that I didn't know existed. He, he impressed me a lot. Um, surprised to see him come in much earlier than uh, B.J. Emmons, and I don't know if that's because he's surpassing him or if they just wanted to get him the reps. I don't know that those questions have been answered, but um, 
I was very impressed with him. He he uh he you know nobody's Derrick Henry on this team, but no. we've got some good young running backs to be excited about. Well, all of them in some way, shape, or form, and I will even say Bo Scarborough have reasons for us to be excited. Yeah, and you know the thing about uh, Joshua Jacobs that I really love, and you know if I had to ask you right now who's my favorite Alabama player of all time, you would say. Courtney Upshaw, but you, uh, Mark Ingram. There you go. And what does Joshua Jacobs look like? I mean, not even just forget his running style, just the way he dresses. I mean, it's the exact same, same helmet type. Where's the towel across the back? I, I mean, it looks like the same running back. Um, very, built very similarly. I, I just, I love the running style and I love how much, uh, Kiffin felt, uh, comfortable running the ball with him. Um, and it also reminded me he needs to get in a rhythm. He's not somebody that can break off a 20-yard carry um, his first rush, but he is the type of guy that you give him four or five in a row, he's going to get you eight or nine yards on that fourth or fifth carry every single time. We've had, I mean, our running backs, uh, the three running backs, Emmons, uh, Harris, who is okay, he was at practice today, and um, and Emmons, and Jacob, sorry, are all averaging very well. I mean, they're all between seven and nine yards per carry. The only one that's not right there is Bo Scarborough. And that's the weirdest part because who were we all saying that was going to be the starter this year? Oh man, we were all. I was. I was really drinking the, the hype there. And he, you know, he can still come on. I have no idea what the problem is with him. But, um, and then you know, you think about the four good young running backs we have now. We're having Harris. Sorry, not Harris. No, yeah, Najee Harris come in next year with probably one other running back recruit. We're going to have depth again at the position, which is nice because we couldn't have picked a better year last year to have somebody named Derrick Henry on our team. Right. Because we had no depth last year at that position. Really dominant on defense. I don't want to go too much into this because I don't think it's really fair. Uh, I think the worst play of the game for the defense was the first play of the game when they ripped off that, what was it, a 26, 27-yard run? I mean... Yeah, they scripted that, and then after that... Poor, was... poor tackling. Ronnie Harrison takes a horrible angle on it. Uh, running back breaks a couple of tackles, and then that was pretty much their highlight from the game. You can't complain about a shutout. You can't. You just can't. You can't, and that's what I mean is there's really not a lot of reasons. A lot of sacks. Do we force any turnovers? I don't even know that there was a turnover. Yes, we forced game. a fumble. Oh, yeah, that's right. All right, that's coming there back to me now. There was a forced First game so far this year where we didn't have a defensive touchdown, though, so that ends our streak. That's unbelievable. But we did still have a special teams touchdown, Xavier Marks. Yeah, I want you to get into that him. a little bit, if you will. He's a little guy. I was at this point. I was watching the um, the uh, the game with with my wife, who is not. Let me say on the record, she is not comedic relief on this podcast, as she so has claimed in the past. Um, no, but we were watching it, and she enjoyed watching his touchdown because he's so small. You know, she always likes she, the, the little she guys. She is on the. Team. the C3PO of this podcast. No, don't even know that. She's she's not C3PO. Come on. That. That's... She's definitely not Jar Jar Binks. The, but that wasn't comedic relief. That was sadness. That was George Lucas trying to... It's like the kid in class in high school that tried to be funny too much and you just despise them. That's Jar Jar Binks. <laughs> I feel like C3PO is at least... You mean the Sith Lord Jar Jar Binks? Is at least... You stop your words. I, I, I believe C3PO is at least comedic nah, relief. Nah, she's cute like R2-D2. Um, yeah, no, but, but no, he wasn't was... even comedic relief. He served a purpose. Like, so what did C-3PO do? I'm not saying your wife doesn't serve a purpose. I'm just saying as far as the podcast is concerned. 
R2D2 is hilarious in Revenge of the Sith. Anyway, I can I I continue on. Um, How? It was it was good to see, and and we remember the touchdown from. Oh, you remember when he like lit the dude on fire, the droid on fire? Oh yeah, that was funny. yeah, you're that right. Was funny. You're right. That was funny. You're right. He was cute. He's funny. Okay. She she's R2D2. Lane, uh, let's keep Lane 2D2. <laughs> I, t- uh, I mean, we could just keep. This is now a Star Wars podcast, everybody. <laughs> this is now a Star Wars podcast. Oh um, man. We're gonna begin with Episode One, the Phantom Menace. Oh Menis. no. Sorry to put you guys through this. No, let's go back. Let's go back. Um, Xavier Mark's touchdown on the the punt return. And that was good. That was good to see. And he's very explosive. But I'm actually not going to harp on him too much because the first thing that Coach Saban said about him after the game was, yeah, it was great that he scored, but he also let two punts go over his head that gave up about 50 yards of field position. (laughs) And if we're going to be comfortable putting him back there, field position's the big thing. He's got to make better decisions. The touchdown was nice. He's explosive, but... He let two balls bounce over his head that he shouldn't have. So, there you go, classic, uh, classic Saban not being happy, even with the touchdown. But it was good to see him because he's, uh, he's really earned his way into the rotation. They want to have him back there because they don't want to keep putting starters back there. And he said that in the press conference too. He'd, you know, you would love to have a guy that you can trust to go back there that's not a starter, so you can rest your starters during these special teams plays. Right. Um, and so it was. You know, and then and the kickoffs were all good. I think one went out of bounds, if I remember correctly. But the kickoffs were fine. The kickoff coverage was fine. J.K. Scott didn't have any uh, shanks like he did against the Lord. Adam Griffith made all his field goals. Yeah. So special teams wise, um, you know, average day at the park. Good game. Yeah. Good game. Yeah. Good try. Uh, as far as anything else from the game, um, you know, I, th- I I guess I have to say that um, I'm happy that we escaped this game, the first five to ten minutes looked cataclysmic. It was like Damian Harris went down, some other defensive players were slow to get up, Cam- uh, Calvin Ridley was slow to get up, um, uh, Bo Scarborough got hurt and didn't come back in, uh, but especially the Harris injury, you looked at it, it looked pretty... I'd seen worse, but it looked like he had really... It looked know, serious. ...messed up his ankle. And luckily he came out day to day. He practiced. He was non-contact today, but he was going through drills. And uh, I I wouldn't be surprised if he didn't play against Kentucky, but this isn't going to be the kind of thing that keeps him out against Arkansas and Tennessee and that whole stretch. Right. Uh, In my opinion, the thing that I'll take away from this game, honestly, was O.J. Howard's downfield blocking. Uh, He's getting good at that. They were harping on it, too, the announcers. Yeah, I feel like like his... uh, anytime we ran that triple option or jet sweep or anything, you look down the field and uh, it reminded me of the scene from the blind side uh, where they just, Mike Lord picks him up and puts him across the fence. Um, I mean, it was just, it was dominant blocking. And that's something that I think will go a long way, especially not only in, um, you know, Nick Saban's mind, but I think in his offensive line and his quarterback's mind as well. That, hey, if if, if you need me, I got you. Uh, and that's something that Julio Jones really excelled at when he was at Alabama. And I, I know he gained and garnered a lot of respect for that um, and still does at the NFL. Uh, at the I NFL told level. you that, uh, that quote that Saban said was one of the favorite things he'd ever heard from a former player. Um, one of the players was just kind of dogging it, kind of going half speed through a drill. Julio Jones turns around and yells at him and says, that's not how we do it here. Sounds about right. I like Sounds about right. My favorite Julio Jones story was uh, you remember the game where he broke his hand, like I think it was a week before we played Tennessee, and then just went off and had like 200 and something yards in Knoxville? Yep. 
he walks over to the huddle uh, after a, a lar- like a really long catch that was overthrown, um, and, he, and he's kind of like reaching down towards his lower back, and he, he's making all these noises. He's like, ah, ah, man, ah. Mark Ingram said he looked up at him. It's like, hey, you all right? And he looked over. He's like, yeah, man, my back just hurts. Been carrying the team on it all night. <laughs> it's just, it's one of my favorites because it's true. If you go back and watch that game, it was all Julio. I mean, it was just that, that it, he just dominated that game. But it's just. Man, I'd love to have him in this offense. This oh, year. yeah. I mean, he's, but he's so self-aware. He's such a he's such a talented player that was self-aware. That's why I like Julio Jones so much. All right, moving on to next week. We play Kentucky. Kentucky's only beat Alabama twice in the history of football. Has it been within the last 31 years? Because otherwise Florida's got us beat there. I believe it has been. I, I'm sh- it's got to be. It's got to be. Anyway, Kentucky, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to say, and, and, you know, I like to respect the opponents, but Kentucky is as much of a gimme as we get in this conference. I mean, even more so than, than – um, than Vanderbilt. And again, I mean... They're yeah, ranked second in the happened. SEC East. Kentucky could come out and, uh, you know, dominate the game and win, and Steve, we could see a Steven Garcia game. I I just think there's... Uh, we have to talk about this as if there's slim to none chance that we lose this game, right? Am I off base there? I don't think Tell you're off base there, but I do want you to keep in mind of that Steven Garcia game and the fact that that USC team won, what, seven games that season? No, they were good that year. How many? Look up how many games they won, please. Yeah, I'm looking it up. I believe they went. They played FSU in the bowl game. Um, FSU wasn't that strong that year. Uh, they're okay. They're on the rise. They uh, let's see. They went nine and four regular season. Nine and four. So they had four losses and beat probably the most talented team that Nick Saban's ever going to put on the football field. Yes, yes, it can happen. It can definitely. I'm just. I, I don't think it's going to. I'm just saying. Keep that in mind. They beat South Carolina last week, 17-10. It kind of went under the radar with the craziness that was Auburn and LSU, and then Texas A&M and Arkansas, and all those games, um, and Tennessee and Florida. We're going to get into all those games. Uh, Wait, looking at this, hey, you you know who beat South Carolina that season? Kentucky. Kentucky. Yeah, I remember. 31-28. Yep, it was a close game. Was it an overtime game or was it a last-second field goal? I think it was a last-second field was, goal. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. They got up to number 10 at that point, obviously, by beating Alabama. Sure. And they lose to Kentucky. Right. Anyway, they were ranked in the top 25 all season, right. if I look at this correctly. And But, all right, so I won't I won't completely throw Kentucky under the bus and say, you know, that we're playing Chattanooga here. But, um, you know, I don't expect this to be a close game. No, I don't, I don't either. I don't either. Kentucky's got a lot of quarterback issues. Drew... Parker and Steven Johnson are a combined 48 for 82. Wolf. For seven Ooh, touchdowns. Okay. And six uninspiring. picks. Ugh. That's uninspiring. Decent running worse, game, but, but not good enough against Alabama's run defense. You really got to pass the ball against Alabama if you expect to win. Uh, they were completely just destroyed by Florida earlier this season. Expose him. Expose him. 45-7. <laughs> Florida goes up and just mops up over Kentucky. I really just don't see this game being close. Are you surprised this is a night game? I know this is sort yeah. of off topic, but and I'm kind of and I'm well, like this is totally a game I could be going to on my budget, and I'm I'm not like I, I I've got to work on Saturday, and 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 the wife's family's coming in town. We're trying to find a game to go to this year, and we'd like to go to a night game. This really should have been the one. Um. I'm very surprised that this is not. And are we on ESPN as well we are. at night? Like it's, 
What are the matchups? Yeah, it's 6 o'clock you've got, on ESPN. You've got Stanford and Washington. You've got Louisville and Clemson. You've got Michigan and Wisconsin. And yet Alabama-Kentucky is the primetime game hey, on ESPN. SEC bias. It's <laughs> that SEC I just, bias. I, I, don't, that, I just saw that, that and thought love. that was really weird. Uh, you know, it's our last game before sort of the gauntlet stretch, as I've called and that's it. That's the story of this game. It is. That's the story. It is. And you've got Arkansas, Tennessee... And then Texas A&M. And Texas A&M gets a bye before they play Alabama this year. That is Plus, the toughest stretch. LSU, and I, I hate to say LSU because they've been not very good, but that's also in Death Valley, which will probably be a night game. It's a completely different feel when you're there. So we have th- three of our next four games are tough SEC road right. games. And then you throw in Texas A&M in there. And Texas A&M has a bye before they play us. And A&M's... I, I want to go into them right now, but I'll save them for the uh, for the national Tennessee, podcast later in the week. A and M is very good. Tennessee right now. plays Texas A and M the week before they play us. Ooh, it's gonna be it's that is that is as tough of a four game stretch as Alabama's had in a while. <sighs> Give me a second. I'm I'm like filtering through my archive. You've seen Slumdog Millionaire. I love that's that, sometimes I feel like that with my random Alabama football knowledge. I'm trying to think. There was one year we played LSU, who had a bye before the they played us. We played Mississippi State on the road. That may have been 2009, and then we played Auburn, who had a bye before they played us as well. There was that 2010 season there where every team essentially on our schedule had a bye before they played us. Like I said, the most talented team that Nick Saban's ever put on the field. Just not the best team, and that's the big difference. All right, so you got that gauntlet there. So coming out of Kentucky, you know, we play Kentucky, we play, and this could be a tough game or it could be an easy game, but what, you know, how do we need to use this game? It just to set it just has to be consistent, and it's just we've we've just got to fine tune the offense. I think because um, Arkansas and Tennessee are both going to force. I think hurts to pass. I the think ball. the offense has looked great the past two games. I really, really do. Um, however, I, I think that if we have one of these games against Kentucky, even if we win forty-five-seven, thirty-one, you know, ten, whatever. Even if we have one of those games, if we're passing the ball into triple coverage, if Alabama is fumbling the ball, if there's you know a, a breakdown in coverage and Kentucky's guys, I just want consistency. I just want a good, solid game. And I think that's, as long as Alabama can sort of get that, I think that's exactly what the doctor will have ordered. I'm not expecting the ones to really play that much past halftime. This is the last game for a while we're going to be able to say that. That we're going to be able to say, I just want a nice, good game. Because after that, I mean, once we start getting against Arkansas, Tennessee, A&M, I want to escape those games. I don't care if we win those 28-27. Ooh, that's a trigger, that's a trigger uh, score for Alabama fans. <laughs> Ouchie. Um, you know, but yeah, I mean, I, I'd like to see the passing game develop a little bit more um, continuity. I, I, I do want to see the an explosiveness come back to our passing. We haven't had an explosiveness to our passing game since the USC game. Um, and we've seen how good USC's defense is this year. I'd like to see some explosiveness come back there, some timing come back, some fine-tuning there. Other than that, uh, this is just... I'm going to enjoy the night game. I'm going to enjoy the atmosphere. I'm going to enjoy seeing Alabama play uh, at home, under the lights, before, you know, 
we really got to start being nervous every week. And what are you thinking your score prediction is? I put 42-7. I gave them a touchdown, and I think it's a late touchdown against our twos or threes. Right, and I put I put 35-10 with the same sort of mindset. I, I think maybe they kick a field goal in the first quarter and then get a touchdown with you know eight minutes left in the fourth quarter or something like that. I'm, I'm not expecting this to be a close game. Really just expecting Alabama to kind of dominate on both sides of the ball, hoping that's what happens. And if that's what happens, I, I think that's a really good jumping-off point uh, for the next few weeks. I saw an article, well, because, you know, just figured I'd bring it up uh, since we're only at 24 minutes here. But I saw an article the other day that had two Alabama players in the top 10 best true freshmen in the nation so far. It had Jonah Williams at number nine, who has been called uh, through four games our best offensive lineman. And I, you know, I can see that. And then Jalen Hurts at one. Wow. I think we're being critical of Jalen Hurts, but like I just expect—I mean, I said it last I week. I expect him to turn into our best quarterback we've ever had under Saban, or I'm going to be angry at him. And um, I don't know. I just want to see explosiveness back. I love him. I love him. He's—he's he's got me feeling sky high right now. And I also think he's a dark horse Heisman contender through four weeks. Stop. I think Stop anybody it. who's on an undefeated team right now is a dark Stop. horse Heisman contender. Stop. Don't tell me to stop. This this podcast does not give out September Heisman's. I didn't give out a September. That's not a September. You, September completely goes to uh, what's his face, Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson. You're, 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 but you're you're coming close enough. I don't think there should be. Well, I don't think there should be AP rankings till week six, and I don't think the Heisman should even be considered until late November. That's and that's kind of. Let me clarify. That's sort of my point. Is teams that are still undefeated that still have playmakers on their offense. All that matters to the Heisman winners is what happens from about October 20th through the end of the season. That's that's all that matters. You know, this time last year, nobody, nobody even knew Christian McCaffrey's name. That's kind of my point. Uh, this time, I mean, what, two months ago, if I would have said, hey, who's Lamar Jackson? I mean, you probably would have known, and I probably could have guessed, but... I mean, if I would have told you... I only knew him as the guy that almost led a comeback victory against Auburn last year. Yep. Yeah, that's pretty much the only reason I would have known him, too. And I know he, you know, I knew he was a dual-threat guy, but I, I did not expect what we, 25 touchdowns in four games. Which is me? ridiculous. And we're going to talk about that later in the week in the national podcast. Brick, right now, um, gonna going to kind of move into sort of a, a downer and I'm sort of popping this on you last minute and I'm sorry but we've got some time here so I just uh just wanted to do this so we're not sort of bringing down the podcast later in the week um I, I know this uh, 2016's been tough as far as deaths um of American icons and everything is gone um I, I kind of want to get into this as our sound off. You know, we've said sound offs can be. Usually, we're frustrated or angry about something. A couple weeks ago, we were pretty happy about something. This one's gonna kind of be a more somber tone. Um, it, I, I know. For me, I, w- I was on the way home Sunday from New York City when I uh, when I heard the news from some of my good old friends and family at Golf Channel that Arnold Palmer has passed, um, and that was. You know, that that hit me really, really weird. Um, Arnold Palmer was someone who revolutionized the game of golf. Uh, Whether you want to believe it or you think it or not, he he genuinely did. There's a reason he's called the king. It's not because he won the most majors. It's because he was the king of golf when he played. Um, He was the first man to really, from America, to really go to Great Britain and say, no, 
you're not going to win the British Open this year. I'm going to win it. And then he didn't. But then the next year, he came back and won it. And then he won it the year after that. Uh, and the way he carried himself, his, his charisma, the way he treated other people um, was all astounding. And that's not even the part that really hit me that weird. It's, I mean, you, you hear of celebrities and things like that uh, that pass away all the time. And it's, it's always quite sad, you know. Um, but the thing that I'll always thank Arnold Palmer for and something pretty cool is I got to meet him this past St. Patrick's Day at the Arnold Palmer Invitational in Orlando. I got to shake his hand. Um, and he was one of the founders of the Golf Channel. And when I worked there, I, I shook his hand and I said, you know, uh, I just wanted to thank you because your company gave me a shot, um, gave me my first shot in my career. And he shook my hand and said, well, y'all are the reason that it's still there. And kind of smiled, and that he, he walked away, and that was it. Um, and to him, I mean, he probably didn't even think anything of it. But to me, that was the absolute world for me. Um, and so my sound off is rest in peace, Arnold Palmer. You know, I, I would love to tell you that I can't believe that he's gone, but uh, he wasn't, you know, he wasn't in great health when I met him then and when I shook his hand then. Um, well, that's amazing that, you know, not to, like, belittle what you did there but for you know somebody that's that's a, that's larger than life an icon legendary status i mean everybody knows his name to you know speak that frankly and that sincerely to a production assistant right that, you know just a, right. a tv channel right that's amazing yeah that he took that and moment to uh, just make your day a little yeah better. for sure for sure and uh I've, I've got to i've got to commend everyone at golf channel too i know they were on air for a long time i got in sunday night at 10 o'clock, Rory McIlroy won the Tour Championship, um, and you know how hard I've been rooting for Rory this season, so that was great. Uh, they went straight from that show into their Arnold, Arnold Palmer show that was on air for nine hours. They were up um, till I think, 3 in the morning, um, and I know every single production assistant, editor, producer was working their asses off uh, to make sure that those were some of the best shows that they could put on. I watched it uh, pretty much till they went off air. Um and I, I couldn't be more proud to say that I associated myself with that group of people for that long. Uh, now I'm going to let you handle, um, you're a Marlins fan, so I'm, I'm going to let you kind of uh, take over from here. But my sound off is rest in peace, Arnold Palmer. Well, yeah, if you listen to the podcast, you know uh, I'm a Marlins fan. You know, my first true love of sports was just, and I've said it on here before, was you know, the Marlins, my grandfather would send me signed pictures of the team because he was a police officer there. And, you know, I would wake up in the morning and read the stats and, you know, make, see how Dontrell Willis did, see how Miguel Cabrera was doing, Josh Beckett. And, you know, they've had – the Marlins have been lucky to have, even though they haven't made the playoffs since their World Series run in 2003, they've always had some good aces on the team. They've always had a good top pitcher, whether it was, you know, Willis or Josh Beckett, uh, moving on to a Brad Penny, a Josh Johnson, Ricky Nolasco for one season – um, and then Jose Fernandez, who, as we've all heard by now, when I woke up to the news Sunday morning, what you know, he died in a boating accident in Miami. Um, twenty-four years old. He was the best of the bunch out of all the aces that they've had. For easily sure. the best already. I mean, at this point, at twenty-four years old, he's better than Beckett ever was in his prime. He's better than Willis definitely ever was in his prime. Better than all those guys. I mean, he's he might win the Cy Young this year. Even even if he hadn't passed away, he was in the running to win the Cy Young this season. I mean, he's got a sub-3 ERA. He's got about 16 wins. Has carried the team 
pretty much carried them to the team was in the playoff well, you, race. You told me what about he, two weeks he ago. had twelve strikeouts the last game he ever played. Last last game he pitched was a couple. Um, I think maybe last. It have been Wednesday. Or yeah, so. I was going to say it was about a week ago tonight, wasn't it? Wednesday or Thursday, he pitched a twelve, uh, an eight inning gem, uh, shutout pitching, twelve Ks, and he he does that stuff all the time. I mean, he'll go out. He threw. Yeah, he that's. Threw I mean, that's a pretty whole home day for him. Two or, yeah, two or two or three times this season. Sure. And this is and and you know this is about more than his current talent. He had so much. But I mean, he's twenty four. He's five years removed from what is normally a pitcher's prime, which is twenty nine. And he's already that dominant. And he's already had Tommy John surgery. But it's about more than that. I mean, that was that was the him and John Carlos Stan were the face of franchise. Well, and his uh, his pitching style, his delivery. I mean, you know, I I know you the way he does it on the. Mound. I know you grew up around baseball. I grew up around baseball too. There's just certain guys that when they pitch, it just sounds different. You can just close your eyes, and it just sounds just better. Well, the joy with which with which he pitched, you know, it was it was fun. To it was charismatic. So many of these pitchers yeah. look like they're struggling. Sure. So many of these pitchers look, you know, it's he 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 was like a like he was in little league, like he was just enjoying. And that, I think that's what the manager Don Manning, Mattingly said is that it was like he was in little league out there playing. Yeah. I mean, it was the joy that came from him. That if you haven't heard his backstory, it's amazing. Him and his mother escaping from Cuba, his him saving his mom's life on the way to here from Cuba. Um, the first time his grandmother ever got to watch him pitch, and he might—he probably wouldn't have stayed with the Marlins for his whole career, and I couldn't blame him. He was that good uh, that he needed to be in a brighter spot. But it's not even about that. It's just twenty—the just to have like so, somebody's of that stature, of that potential that touches so many people every time he's on the mound. I probably watched five baseball games this season. Let's be honest—I don't watch it like the way I used to. Three of them were Jose starts. Just because he's that fun to watch. Right. Well, three of the five like games I made sure to watch the season. Dan Lebitard because he was starting. I got to watch. Right. Dan Lebitard said that that was the only way he could get his mom to go to the ballpark anymore because she was so upset with the Marlins franchise. Was that if, if I mean he you was know, every day the Marlins every fifth day of the of, of of the season Jose Day, and that's when they'd sell their tickets. You know the Marlins have trouble selling tickets, and then if you didn't see what happened yesterday, moving on from that was. D. Gordon, um, oh, their second baseman, yeah. leadoff hitter, nope. not a power hitter, hits for average, hits for speed, takes a, a pit. The first pitch of the game, he takes from the right side of the plate. Um, Bartolo Colon threw a threw a ball on purpose so that it was for tribute. Then he goes to his normal left side of the plate, throws a ball. Next pitch, D. Gordon takes out of the park. Blasted. I mean, out out of the just smashes it over the right field fence. He says he's never hit a ball that far. He's rounding the bases crying. I mean, it was like, I mean, you've got, I can kind of one hand the amount of sports moments that I can think of that, that have hit me like that. Yeah, you know, I, mean, watching I that. mean, Kyle's brother brought it up yesterday, and I'd kind of forgotten about it, just sort of admittingly embarrassingly, um, or admittedly embarrassingly, I should say, Mike Piazza's uh, game winner against the Braves right after 9-11. Nine, you have that one. You got the Kurt Gibson one, and as far as home runs are concerned, that's it for me. Yeah, those are those are that that is a legendary sports yes. moment. Uh, the the and, quote the quote from D Gordon after that was, "I told the boys if y'all don't believe in God, y'all might as well start because I ain't ever hit a ball that far, even in batting practice. We had some help." 
Um, and, and, and that's powerful. And I'm not I'm not saying that as like a theological discussion or anything like that. I'm just saying greater forces were at work. I'm yeah, you. I mean, there's just there's that's just that's not something that just happens, you know. And you can call it whatever you want, um, but that's that's fate. That's fate. So they retired his number. I mean, it's the second number in their in their franchise. They don't. They're not a franchise that retires numbers. They've got forty two for Jackie Robinson. Now like every MLB team. Jose Fernandez. Yeah, I mean, and I was excited to watch him. And I was excited to yeah, watch his career. Yeah. And and the worst part of it, the work, the part that got me, you know, he was my favorite pitcher, probably my favorite baseball player in the majors. Um, John Carlos stands another, but currently he was probably my favorite player to watch, for what he meant to my team and my favorite franchise. It, it was it was that five days before he, he died, he announced on Instagram that his wife or either his wife or girlfriend's having a child. She's pregnant. She's pregnant. Yep. I mean that is yeah. Um, that's you know, deflating that's, for someone in my, that's my position. Extremely deflating, and I, I'm sorry to end the episode this way, and I, I'm sorry to sort of spring this on you, Brick. I know you weren't expecting it, but I I did kind of want to mention it while I was fresh um, and have this sound off um we're, we're gonna sort of end this episode we usually do some fun music and you know whatever we let into the episode with i think it's more appropriate for this episode to just sort of end uh with a moment of silence for those two gentlemen uh, we'll plug social media right quick uh at pi underscore podcast on twitter patsinterference.com uh pats interference on facebook um rest in peace both jose fernandez and arnold palmer uh, this has been year two, episode 11 of Pat's Interference. Thanks for listening.